0: Welcome to the Healthy Beast. My guest today is Lawrence Fenton, physiotherapist and Bachelor of Science in Sports Rehabilitation. Did I get that right? That's right, yeah. Okay, well thanks for joining me. There's loads of specific stuff I want to ask you about. I've been asking people for questions to put to you and shoulders keep coming up. Shoulders is
1: a a big area, isn't it? Yeah. So I'll ask you
0: about that, but the first one is we've just found out that very soon the pubs are going to be open, but the gyms aren't.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that, to be honest. Just the logic behind the decision to do that, I don't really see why they entrust people intoxicated to be safe and keep a distance, social distancing and all that kind of thing, over gyms. So, not, got, not very happy, obviously, it, from a personal I mean, it, perspective.
0: It, it does seem it does seem a great example of Britishness to me. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We've
1: got, we need the pubs, but forget
0: about the gym. Yeah, but, for sure. I mean, I, I, I do a lot more gym than pubs these days anyway yeah. but I'm, I'm really looking forward to going to a pub to see how they try and police the distancing of yeah. drunk
1: people for curiosity you know, sake. I mean yeah. it'd be
0: hilarious to watch them kind of <laughs> making an effort at the beginning and then for sure just,
1: the longer the night goes on the worse it kind of you know the more it deteriorates in terms of uh, social distancing <laughs> For the the job you do,
0: physiotherapy is a hands-on job. Yeah, for sure. So this has got to be, like, one of the worst professions to be impacted.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, they were saying early on that it, it is considered to be of importance, so they were still allowing for, I mean, it, it really depends if you have like your own clinic and that kind of thing. Like, especially now I'm seeing clinics are running, um, but they're just, you know, wearing a mask and gloves. And, and so it is seen as something that's important. So that's why they are still able to go about their business. In terms of myself, because I'm more self-employed and I'm based at the gym, I don't have, I'm not at a clinic. I've kind of just turned a lot of the, the kind of sessions I was doing to online based. And now, only now as things are easing off, I've been kind of cycling around seeing uh, some of my clients and we would go to the park some of them have got decent space in their garden so we, we would do a session there so that hasn't that hasn't been a problem and is that a
0: kind of gray area because one of the things about lockdown is a lot of people just don't know yeah. exactly what they are and are allo- aren't allowed to do it's, yeah for sure it's not fully green lit but you can kind of
1: yeah that's the strange thing is how do you really police all of the things that you're asking people to do and you know the way they kind of say it in that kind of authoritative way of like this is what you know you need to be you need to do in order to consider social distancing and xyz and Z. And then, you know, I'll go out on a cycle round London and I'll see everybody and their dog is out. You know, I, I just, I, I try to stay away from people. I do a lot of my shopping online and away from farm drops so, so I don't have to go out that much. I only have started to do that a bit more often now in order to see clients and that kind of thing. And then again, I'm you know, we're trying to keep social distancing. Just kind of seeing how it's going along from now. But things do seem to be easing off.
0: What's your sense from the people you've, the clients you have seen? What's your sense of what the lockdown's <clears> done to their health?
1: Good question. I mean, I I feel like... For sure, a lot of people are kind of getting sick of it, especially the, the more active clients that I see, you know, the ones that are used to being at the gym all the time and that I would have to say to them, like, look, this type of training that we're trying to do is pulling you in this direction of, you know, joint health and getting you back to your capacity and increasing your joint capacity and strengthening and et etc. et cetera. And then your type of training that you're doing, whether it be jiu-jitsu, powerlifting, is pulling you this way. So some people would um, try to mix and match that kind of rehab and their own, type of external training because of course they still want to train so then they would kind of just really want to hone in on what to what extent can they train you know because they, they want to get back to training that's their primary goal so you can kind of see the impact it's had on those people especially when I'm kind of going through work for them to do and I can see that they're just very consistent with their work more so now than than ever because with their, the rehab, with yeah. their rehab for example yeah, yeah because it, it's it's almost like it's their their only thing that they can do at the moment, you know, so they're just like really on board with, with doing the work. So, from the perspective of, you know, joint health and, and the results we're seeing, it's great. But of course, when you look at mental health and people not being able to do what they love, um, it's problematic for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mental health, I think, is the big one. I yeah. Th- I mean, physically, I think for a lot of people, particularly, we should explain your roles in mm-hmm. rehab on Instagram. So, you have a focus. In our martial arts gym, you have a focus on fighters, but obviously your training is much broader than that. Right. Um, and I think my point was, if you're doing something that impacts the body sometimes negatively, like martial arts, mm. having a few months off, as long as you do
1: it right, can be can be quite beneficial. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially when you look at um, you know people people that people tend to do uh, they don't tend to take things. It, in a systematic approach if that makes sense so let's say for example you know I'm I'm someone who I don't really exercise very often and I I mainly work at a desk and when I get home I just I prefer to just sit on the couch and do that kind of thing and then you you get that type of person let's say lockdown hits and they become a bit more self-aware of their lifestyle and they're like oh I think I'm unhealthy etc so then they then they try to take up running for example and then they you know they don't really understand that in order to run, right, you need a hip that extends, you need a knee that flexes, extends, and rotates, you need a hip that rotates as well, you need an ankle that can move, you need toes that can move. You need all these things that you lose from just doing no movement at all. The way the brain works is if you don't use it, you will lose it. So if I only sit, if, I, if I'm only in a certain position for my hip, then that's all my nervous system is gonna be aware of, and therefore over time, that's all I'm gonna have access to. And then you have, um, that's what we kind of, when we look at that, we we kind of call that prerequisite range of motion if you're looking at taking up an activity so you get someone like that and they not even considering what kind of range of motion you need for your joints but then they jump in and do like a 5k straight away so they're not, obviously they're not taking consideration okay well what can my joints actually handle but also have they even taken a graded exposure approach to the type of training they're now starting to do and that's the thing people do end up doing too much at first and kind of you know learning from that hopefully and then adapting but it's very common to see that people
0: do too much at first. I was going to ask you about the, the major mistakes people make, and I was going to offer the first one because, mm. particularly, guys in their forties like me, I've been good. I've, I've kept up doing stuff consistently. But yeah. you know, the classic one is you do nothing for a while, and then you go right determination. I'm going to go for a while. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you go out on the on the tarmac, and you pound out for as long as you can. Right. And right. I know people who do that. Fuck their knees up. Yeah. And then do nothing again, and you yeah. can just And it's a sort of cycle. It's almost as if going back to school, the main exercise is running. Right. You've got to be able to run. Yeah, for sure. If you say to people, and people get addicted to it as well, as the kind of buzz you get, the Mm. the endorphins you get, that we get, I guess, people who train with us get from martial arts or people get from whatever sport it is. But if your thing is pounding the tarmac, particularly when you're getting older, but it can be problematic at any age. Yeah, I mean... to do that with no... No preamble, just right straight out. There. It, from a determination and pushing yourself point mm. of view, it's good, great, you're making a big effort. But sometimes, and this is what I've done a lot of over lockdown, is to do do things consistently but do less and not push myself to that point of failure because you just feel you pay for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, that's kind of where um, people, people need to understand, you know, one of the most studied laws out there, law of specificity, right? So if you... People will, and I have had questions, you know, oh, if, you know, I've got, I don't have a good knee, is running, will running be good for my knee? Um, I've heard that running can be quite bad for my for knees in general. Um, the way I like to look at things is there are no inherently bad exercises. There are only unprepared bodies or unprepared tissue, okay? So the formula of injury is load exceeds the load-bearing capacity of the tissue and therefore tissue fal- falters. or Injury takes place And sorry to interrupt
0: But would that be Would that be In basic terms Your your muscles are stronger Than the things That are attaching To the bone Right Or
1: or no More so um, Let's say say I'm running And um, let's say I roll my ankle So I roll my ankle, and you know that very common for people to do that, and they sprain the outside of their ankle. So what's happening there is you're taking in newtons of force when you roll your ankle and you put your body weight on it, that the tissue has not been able to actually attenuate for that, and therefore tissue will... Be damaged. Okay, so you're talking about pounding rather than yeah but the gear. thing is that, that that formula works for overuse injuries as well you know so injuries that take so so you, you kind of have like traumatic injuries that, that happen right there and then like oh okay that someone heel hook to you and your ACL you know taught ruptured or, or whatever
0: a heel uh, hook for anyone who's not a jiu-jitsu person is a very nasty technique yeah um, which I consider cheating where people, <laughs> <laughs> people wrap up basically wrap up your leg and
1: yeah essentially what you undo
0: one of the tendons which for most people who don't do martial arts it sounds like an appalling thing and it is mm, it is an appalling thing but yeah it's a it's a legitimate yeah thing i mean you and can that... do with someone's leg if you're <laughs> if you're if you're if you're, yeah. if
1: you're of the mind yeah for sure but no kind of coming back to what you were saying previously about you know how should people be kind of seeing things or even at your age and you know you're, you're being quite active is having a general understanding of what you're doing and what you love how does that actually um, have an effect on your body right so a good way to look at this is from an evolutionary biological perspective so we came from hunter gatherers we know that we're designed to hunt to gather to run to hide to crawl to climb um, you know all these things so the question is always going to be to what extent are we are our joints designed to do X, Y, and Z. So if you look at um, jiu-jitsu, for example, you, you're literally in a position where you're having to control another body, let alone your own body. And on top of that, the third party is trying to put your joint into its end of range to force you to tap. Okay, So from a basic perspective, that is just an insult to our joints. Right, because our joints are not designed to be taken to our end of range for us to feel pain and tap. Right, that's just an insult to our joints. Um, Now, when you kind of look at that in terms of specificity, so the law of specificity of what I was saying before, people seem to think that certain training will cross over to jujitsu. Now, if you don't train, your shoulder at its end of range internal rotation, which is me rotating my bicep in as much as my as much as I can for that shoulder joint. And then someone slaps on a Kimura and I try to resist. Because I don't strengthen the lines of tissue in that specific area, I'm still as susceptible to injury as someone who doesn't do any strength training at all. So this is where the specific input is necessary.
0: So you're not so you're not going to be able to do any movements that you haven't specifically practiced for
1: for. yeah 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 yeah. so I mean you know like uh, another big one is people you know people ask me oh I have a stiff back should I do yoga it's like first of all I haven't assessed you I don't know your full histology or pathology so I can't advise really on what you should or should not be doing so first of all I just can't answer the question second of all again we need to adhere to the law of specificity what is yoga going to make you better at it's going to make you better at yoga that's the best way of looking at it. Yes, you will get these, these effects where you get improved flexibility, etc, etc. A lot of past research, I believe done in like the 80s, they used to think that stretching actually decreased your risk of injury. And what they're finding, what they think is going on now is it can actually increase your risk of injury. So what I like to look at is whenever you do something that's passive, and what I mean by passive is you're in a relaxed state, And there's an external input or whatever going into the tissue. So that may be you're statically stretching or that may be someone is massaging the area or acupuncture or any of these. What you normally get is a new newly acquired range of motion. Now, the reason why that's temporary is because the nervous system is easily trickable. Okay, so it's easy for me to trick my nervous system and then pain reduces and I have a bit more range, but then how's that going to feel the next day? Or how's that going to feel later on throughout the day? It really depends on what you do that the nervous system can actually read that's going to adhere to changes to take place, right?
0: I, I don't quite understand a bit about tricking the nervous system. What is that?
1: So, um, you know, like you, you, you probably see all these techniques like myofascial release technique and, and, you know, soft tissue and that kind of thing. All you're really doing is... You're applying, you know, your external load of the massage, right? You're not actually making much change or any change at the cellular level of the muscle itself, but more so because you're, you're stimulating these receptors, these mechanoreceptors and X, Y, and Z, that you now get a bit more range of motion. So now it feels, okay, it's a bit less tense, it's less painful, and I get a bit more range of motion. So the point of view that I have is if you then don't use that new range of motion that you've acquired... It was kind of a waste of time. If that makes okay, sense. so yeah, because it'll just go back. Because it'll just through. go back. So a good way of looking at it is, if you let's say you're really inflexible, um, if I put you under general anaesthesia, I'd be able to put your foot behind your head would because it's, it's the nervous system that's telling you 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 never go there. So I'm not going to let you have that range of motion. Does that make sense? Would
0: it not? It would, if you if it's a person who's not very flexible, I understand that there would be pain and therefore they're under. General anaesthetic, but mm. surely though, wouldn't it still be crunch? Wouldn't it? You'd have to put. You'd have to. You wouldn't just go there easily. Is what I'm saying. You'd have to kind of um, rip, rip bits. Good you? question.
1: Um I mean, if they're yeah. under general anaesthesia and they're completely knocked out, it, you can you can do that easily, no problem. It's when their nervous system is is awake, so to speak. Like, yeah, no, I under,
0: I, I know what you. I know what you mean. You re, you you resist things. I'm just. I guess I'm just questioning the extent to which you to just, which you could do. Yeah, that, Yeah. I would have thought a tight body's there's still gonna have been shortening and tightening of the soft tissue, isn't it? Right. So, so the question
1: the, the point the point there is what is tightness or how does tightness take place? So from what we see, so if, if if I were to look at a shoulder, your shoulder has a a huge range of motion, okay? So you can go into a lot of range of motion and you get a lot of rotation, so that. We, what we call axial rotation so the ball which is the head of the humerus that upper arm bone sits into the the scapula that what we call a glenoid and it can rotate uh, in uh, articulation with the with the scapula so that humerus the head of the humerus rotates and we call that axial rotation so that's what a ball and socket is designed to do that joint is designed to do what we see a lot of the time for shoulders is, okay, I'm going to do overhead press, I'm going to do bench, I'm going to do you know tricep dips, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z pull-ups, whatever. What we don't see are, are ideas or exercises to explore the full capacity of the joint itself. And that's where um, functional range systems have kind of filled the gap in regards to, uh, they have an exercise that's called controlled articular rotations. Um, and that is just a way of moving your joint, controlling your joint through its current workspace. Okay, so, um, and that that's something that we'll we'll touch on after, and I and I can kind of show you an example, and you you'll get more of an idea of, of how that looks. Because um, yeah, I was
0: explaining before we started recording that I was asking people for physio questions that come come to them in their own lives, and, and shoulders keep was coming a big up. One, yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm pretty sure that if you've if you've been doing contact sports for any length of time or even just an, an inactive person pretty much everyone has some shoulder nickels at one point and my problem has been i've been to a physio a few times and um i'm not ashamed to admit that i found it very confusing of course um and in fact even when you were talking about the shoulder then i felt that kind of remedial arm um, i'm it's confusing <laughs> again because there's so much going on yeah in that joint but i think i finally got an understanding of partly what my problem is i've got these um bursitis on the the shoulders where the kind of joints rubbed and inflamed. Mm -hmm. And it sort of became clear to me, it was explained to me that because of years of bad posture my shoulders are kind of rolled forward okay. and rubbing and what I've been doing over lockdown and before is but particularly at this time where you know there's not so much other other sport to do I've been really concentrating on getting the shoulders to sit right back in the socket mm-hmm. and not just while exercising but in general in life because yeah. one of the things you notice is you can you, you can get good posture you can put your shoulders in the right place but as soon as you start doing everyday tasks, you know you wash your hands. You get the, the, the shoulders roll forward. Mm-hmm. And my, my take on it is, if you're doing that all the time when you're not thinking about it, you're, you're gonna you're gonna go to that in times of in times of need. So mm-hmm. if, if it's sport, martial arts, whatever it is, when you need to grab something, your shoulders gonna go to the. You can probably explain it. Yeah, scientifically, yeah, yeah. your Your shoulders gonna not dislocate, but
1: come out to the point where... Yeah, where you're not in that good it. posture anymore, basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Just to kind of talk about that, there's a there's a good quote, and I'm, I'm probably gonna spitball a lot of good quotes in, in, in today's conversation. I just like to do that. But a guy called um, Dr. Andrea Spina, he's the, the founder, the creator of Functional Range Systems. He's a...
0: Functional Range Systems.
1: Yeah, that's what it's called. So he's um, he's a doctor, I think, in, in chiropractic, and I think he's done some other degrees as well. I'm not 100 sure Uh, but he's also a a jiu-jitsu black belt which was for me as a as a clinician and a jiu-jitsu practitioner that was a big thing you know seeing someone that's a that's a doctor and quite highly respected in my field and they also practice martial art that they practice and they they have a black belt i was kind of like i want to know what this guy has to say you know in in terms of how the body works in x y and z but he he one of his quote one of his famous quotes is your your best post your best posture is your next posture So what I would say with that is don't worry too much about your posture in terms of how you're sitting or in terms of what position you're in. What your joints really like is movement. The reason why your posture has probably improved is because you're consciously thinking about holding your shoulders back and you're doing that more often and not just trying to strengthen those muscles on the back. So for people that don't know what I'm talking about, just Your shoulders being rounded and you trying to pull your shoulders back and you thinking about that more often throughout the day and actually doing that more often will in itself lead to you having better posture. The reason why that is, is because it's not necessarily because those muscles that hold your scapula back and down, for example, or hold your shoulders back um, are inherently weak. It's more so because you don't have as much neural drive In those muscles. What I mean by that is, if you spend a lot of time at a desk typing, you being in a shoulder uh, kind of rounded position, and maybe your spine is in a bit of a flexed, bent position, that's actually the optimal position for you to do what you're doing, okay? Because you naturally go into that position. It doesn't make sense for the nervous system to think, oh, let's work harder at holding you up because it looks nicer right? It's just going to do what you're asking it to do. So then when you go to pull back, let's say you stay in this position or you go to pull back, things start to feel tight and, you know, things start to feel sore. And that's the, the brain and the nervous system going like, we, this is what you want. You want to be in this position because this is where you are all the time.
0: Oh, okay. So that, that makes sense. Cause I, in this process of improving my posture, I've, I've noticed that there's a, almost a comfort position of letting go when you're kind of you're fed up with doing the right thing yeah. you kind of want to, you just want to slum yeah um, and I've noticed people I've noticed a lot of people who I've noticed in the gym with people who very good posture when they Work out, mm-hmm. and they know exactly what they're doing. But as soon as they stop,
1: they just yeah, they go into this relaxed state. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um And because it, I
0: notice it a lot, because it's something I did mm-hmm. probably occasionally, sometimes do, but try and avoid that kind of yeah. I finished exercise now and slump, um, and and in front of the TV and wh- whatever it is you do, you, mm-hmm. you you're kind of, you kind of want to slump. Is that your body like going back into what you say what it, where it's comfortable?
1: Yeah, I mean you can't you can't be active 100% of the time. Well, I guess you, you could try, but it it would be difficult for you, I mean, depending on, on the person, of course, it would be difficult for your brain and your nervous system to, to have to be playing a role that highly all the time. So what if, if I did see someone where I wanted to improve their posture, if I thought that, okay, your posture is a bit of an issue or they want to improve their posture themselves, then I would not only get them to kind of work on any deficits they may have, in that kind of area but I would also get them to try to think about it consciously throughout the day a bit more but if you feel like you're doing it a lot and you need to relax and rest then do that because at the end of the day that's what your brain wants to do that's what you you kind of need to do because you're not going to do bench press from as soon as you wake up to as soon as you go to sleep right like you're going to stop at some point the point with that is is, you're not going to hold yourself in this position 100% of the time right so you do need to relax here and there and that's completely acceptable
0: but there are better and worse ways to relax, right? You know, there, I understand what you're saying, the body, yeah. the body wants to move. But when you are stationary, mm-hmm. so you do have to sit at a computer or behind a counter or whatever your For sure, work yeah. or, or life involves, there are better, better and worse ways of doing that,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in terms of that specifically, I would say your main concern should be what is a joint designed to do, right? Joint is designed to move. When we look at that kind of deepest part Of the tissue, when you're looking at the joint capsule, you're looking at the articulation, which will be the bone articulating with the other bone, which forms the joint. The way that deepest part of the tissue gets any gets most of its nutrients is through movement, right? It's required to move in order to you know push on that synovial membrane, which secretes the fluid of the joint, and that's how it gets its nutrients. It doesn't have a lot of vascularity, that blood flow, in the deepest part of that tissue, so it it relies on movement essentially. So that's why your best posture is your next posture because you should just be more concerned on how often you're moving rather than what position are you staying in So what I mean by that is, and this is kind of coming back to what you were saying in terms of you're trying to hold this posture a lot of the time, but what happens in training when you get pulled shoulder forward? Well, my question there is why would your shoulder getting pulled forward be inherently bad? Because I don't see that as being inherently bad. What I mean by that is is your scapula is designed to... This is called protraction, where your shoulder rolls forward. And then when you try to hold your shoulder back and you you try to bring your shoulder blades together, that's called retraction. So what you're doing when your shoulder goes forward is you're protracting. Now that's an essential part of scapular mobility, and you need that to complete X, Y, and Z. So I think a good example for for the case that you're talking about is uh, to kind of make it a bit more obvious as to why scapular is important. Is try to hold your scapula back and down and throw a punch. Right, you're going to look like a T-Rex like throwing a punch. Right, your your scapula needs to protract in order for you to throw a punch. So I wouldn't cue a boxer or a striker, you know, MMA fighter, anyone to, when they're throwing a punch, hold their scapula back and down because it's going to be more quote-unquote stable. I'm concerned about the mobility of the scapula. You actually being able to protract and being able to move where you're asking your joint to move That is what I'm primarily concerned about. Does that make sense? Okay,
0: so I could be too focused on this thing of retracting. Right. Because you need to be able to do
1: both. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, not only do you want to come down to being human specific, which is just your joint movement, um, Mm -hmm. and what is your joint actually designed to do in terms of its range of motion, etc. But you're also always going to come down to sport specific. What is the demands of the sport asking for your body? right asking for your joints and this is of course where people may have issues and you know you know i do think it's ridiculous if you do speak to a jiu-jitsu coach and you're like oh okay i don't you know i feel like you know i'm getting injured a lot or whatever and they just say like oh, keep training or just go and go lift in the gym do some bench press or whatever again law of specificity if you just keep training jiu-jitsu what are you going to get better at jiu-jitsu you're not really doing jiu-jitsu in order to prevent injury or, or do this kind of thing and this is also an interesting topic because people think that you can prevent injury so this is the point i'm now coming to where you can't prevent injury
0: you can't prevent but you can mitigate risk yeah, you can mitigate exactly.
1: risk. exactly you can only mitigate risk you can't prevent okay if someone came to me like look i'm a jiu-jitsu athlete i don't want i want to how do i prevent injury in jiu-jitsu stop training jiu-jitsu it's the only way you're going to prevent injury and you kind of have to take that take that on the chin a little bit, okay? So what I mean by that is, is you're going to have sports which are going to be a certain degree of insult to your joint and how, you, however you measure that, I'm not entirely sure. So I'll give an example. You have... Um Major league baseball players, right? These, these baseball pitchers, they can throw a ball over 100 miles per hour and they practice doing that, you know, hundreds, thousands of times a week. We know from evolutionary biology that the shoulder is designed to be able to throw because, you know, you have to throw a spear and catch your game and eat and survive, etc. What we don't know is to what extent can that shoulder actually take that kind of asking of it to do that specific movement so now you're, you're really ramping up what we're designed to do because now you're doing it in a very specific manner the fact that this is this person's job this is what they're designed to do their whole life it's just a front because
0: yeah, i bet with the spears i bet they had a couple of practices you're right yeah they there you go and sharpened it and then they'd go and look for an animal and and, and
1: if you threw it more than once, you probably missed and then you didn't get to eat, right? Or you had to then yeah, hunt it? down and find find another out or whatever it may be. You're not there throwing thousands of repetitions a week. So that's when it kind of comes down to, okay, well, this is this can be perceived as an insult to the joint. Yeah. Because the joint is not really designed to do that to that degree. So essentially what Major League Baseball players are doing is they are earning 30 to $50 million a year. And because they're earning $50 million a year or whatever they're doing that at the expense of the health of their shoulder joint or elbow joint or wrist joint or whatever they're they're sacrificing the health of their joint to be able to compete at that highest at the highest level which is
0: probably a fair price for it you know you'd you'd sell off your shoulder for that wouldn't you right Right. yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) and they'll they'll suffer later but they'll They'll suffer later (laughs) at least they'll be suffering in comfort yeah. yeah exactly so um, a, a good way of looking at is we can do all of the you know joint training, uh, specific input in the world to try and maintain or pull them back in the opposite direction, so to speak, for their fundamental joint health. And we can do that as much as we want, but their insult is going to be pulling them in the, in the other direction. Now, the question is, what direction are they going in quicker and is what we're doing going to help with prolonging the inevitable and I do believe it is because of course you're doing specific input and you're making the shoulder stronger you're trying to make it more of a shoulder the point there is what they're doing is too much for their shoulder to be able to look like my shoulder for example you know because I don't insult my shoulder joint to the degree that they do therefore they will never be able to have a shoulder joint that I can have does that make sense.
0: I like this. I like this turn of phrase. I've not heard it put like that before. you the insult. Insult. It. Is, it, yeah. these, is this is this I an mean, industry term? Or is this just what you call it? So no, I um. It's an so insult. I did. It's an insult. insult. To, so those MLB players doing that thousands of times is an insult. Insult to, to their joints. You. And what yeah. we do, martial arts, is an insult. to Oh, huge insult. Various huge bits insult. of them. I
1: mean, the joint. If you look at look at evolutionary biology, how often are they rolling on the floor, kimoring each other? Never. Right, so to what degree is it is is that something that your joint wants to do? Right, we know it's designed to move, but it's not designed to be ripped to end of range and out of the socket, and then okay, I suppose, off
0: the I suppose your your job is not really to tell people not to do things. They're going to do. They, yeah, they say I want to do this dangerous hundred percent sport, and you just have to you have to make the best to mitigate.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's exactly my role. Is I is I have to do my best to mitigate, but I also come down to a fundamental joint health point of view, like how much human being can we still get from this athlete, right? Because I know at the end of the day, they're doing something that their shoulder joint isn't designed to do, you know, throwing a punch since they were a kid, you know, to, to, to a certain degree. And... Um, That if you kind of leave that unattended, then that can be problematic. Again, you don't you you will lose what you don't use. So if your shoulder is designed to rotate, okay, and you never focus on rotating the shoulder, and you're just aware of the range of motion of a punch, then eventually that's all you're going to have because that's all you do. It's as simple as that.
0: I guess this is why people that don't do sports end up getting injuries as well they might not get them in the same numbers so young as people doing contact sports mm. but everyone has to move at some point you know just yeah, getting something down from a high cover I guess you just get to a point where you you haven't done you haven't done those things you go to do a range of motion you haven't done before and
1: yeah and, exactly so a lot of um, another good quote by uh, dr spina is you will always regret not training in the position that you got injured in Oh, I like that one yeah I like that one too and the big problem with that uh, not the problem with, with the quote but the big problem with the the, the coming back down to lower specificity is you'll have people doing kettlebell swings you know, military press all these kind of things and it can transfer over to grappling to a certain degree but it's not going to make you less susceptible to injury at end of range of shoulder internal rotation because you're not training end of range shoulder internal rotation and I feel like when people don't take in consideration specific joint training, they are missing out on a on a big gap of training. There's a huge, um, there's huge areas of lines of tissue that you could be strengthening, but you're neglecting because you're deciding deciding to follow this exercise that another human being invented. So, so an, uh, coming on to another quote, you know, so many. But coming Go on for to it, Lorenzo, you yeah. just chuck them out there. <laughs> Coming on to another one that Dr. Spina said is, you know, exercises are just a human invention designed to allow us to compensate for the fact that we're not living how we should be. So again. So so exercises are, are a man-made invention yes. designed to allow us to compensate for the fact that we're not living how we should be.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: That's a, that, that's a great one. I, I, yeah.
0: I completely agree with that. You know, I mean, sports, martial art, anything and any kind of exercise, we wouldn't need to do it and we wouldn't have that we wouldn't need to do it physically and we wouldn't have that desire to do it if we were chasing wild animals and right. you know battling nearby tribes and stuff yeah, like that, having and that yeah having to survive yeah because it's yeah. all you know looking for water food everything it's all it, that's all sport isn't it that's yeah all 100% it. you say making up for something that's not in our lives anymore yeah I want to pick up on something you said earlier which I agree with to a point mm-hmm. because you said you talked about Doing things only makes you better at that thing. Now, I can completely understand if it's something specific like jujitsu that is is beneficial in the in so many ways, mm-hmm. but it's got it's got its negative side, the injuries. So mm-hmm. I can understand that from that sense jiu-jitsu only gets you better jiu where I where I question it was with yoga because most people I talk to if they criticise yoga they might criticise the kind of pseudo-scientific side of it and, right. I, and I can understand that because you go to a yoga class depending on the teacher there's a lot of talk about chakras and so forth of course possibly particularly for someone who's medically trained it can jar mm-hmm. but in terms of the results that you get from doing it most people have got positive things to say about it and, and I got the and you, you talked about someone who asked whether they should do it or not and you said that you need to know their specific case and, of course. and, and I understand that again as a general point that mm-hmm. every person's different but
1: mm-hmm. have you do you have any negative experiences of it oh per- personally yes. Oh, oh, oh. You do okay. personally, yes, in, which is interesting. I, but no, no in, interestingly, yes, I do have a, a personal experience. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't voice my opinion. For example, I wouldn't say that it's a negative thing just because I've had a negative experience of it. So that, that's that's where people really need to kind of take into consideration where empirical data is more important than your anecdotes, right? So yeah. even though I've had a negative experience, I wouldn't then say I wouldn't say it's inherently bad for people to do because of that. Does that make sense? No, I,
0: I do understand, and I wasn't asking you to say that it's a bad thing. Right, but, right. But, but no, I'm still but, giving. My but opinion I, but me. I, the, I mean, the, the worst, the worst things people have said about it, as I say, not liking the the, the pseudo medical side, pseudo scientific side of it, mm-hmm. or maybe they don't like the whole atmosphere or what it's like. Mm-hmm. You can understand people not liking it, but yeah, in terms of. Its effects. Doctors will say things like that. I would need to see more evidence. And that yeah, are, again, totally understandable. But yeah. from a- actually, it's doing bad things to people. I've heard very little, so I'd be interested to hear okay. anecdotal though it may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah of what, course. What, what of you've course. what you've felt or seen. Okay, so because I'm di- I'm deep into it, so I'm, I like to hear bad stuff. Yeah, because I think you shouldn't. I don't want to be one of these people who's just like. It's all brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because, for sure. You know, i because I've had points where I think I might be going a bit too far. Mm-hmm. I've done loads and I some, I sometimes think, you know, I'm stretching out my hips and thinking, you know, is this a bit much? So, yeah, right. please tell me the negative. So,
1: so I, I think a really good point of view that kind of already gives you a little bit of a foundation understanding. Uh, I, I believe this came from Dr. Moses Bernard. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it did. And he he made a very good point that he he wasn't, trying to shit on yoga specifically he was just trying to point things out to people. One thing that he pointed out which is really interesting was yoga started thousands of years ago before science so already the problem there is the fact that it started without science in mind so therefore is it the most efficient thing to be building X, Y and Z that it says it does Right. so yes people can get benefits from yoga and yes I'm not saying that yoga is detrimental to to people's health or anything like that but if you're looking again at something very specific like I want to improve my ability to move my shoulder in this range of motion. If I then do yoga, how much can that transfer over to what I'm looking for? So this is, of course, where someone's intent and their goals of individual and very important to take into consideration. Now, what yoga is really good at doing, um, because you're focusing on your breathing, because you are it's heavy emphasis on a relaxed state, heavy emphasis on stretching you will reap the benefits of the analgesic effect that will take place and you will feel better more often than not. I have had cases where people have come to me and they've said me doing this position has screwed up my back or has screwed up my shoulder and therefore I don't do that position anymore but my shoulder is still a bit of an issue. What should I do? And then I just assess their shoulder joint as a shoulder joint. Can it rotate in? Can Can it rotate in its socket? No, okay, this is something we need to expand the workspace of the shoulder. So again, This is why I say that Laura's specificity is so important because yes, you can reap some benefits from yoga in terms of feeling better and you may get a bit more flexible. But again, you're mainly getting better at yoga. It's not going to transfer over to other things as well as you think it will or as well as you want it to. On top of that, if you increase your gap between your passive range, which is your flexibility, and your active range, which is your mobility, that just means you can... Put your, you can control going into that position rather than someone pushing you there the the bigger gap you have, the more susceptible to injury you are
0: okay, so just to, to repeat that for clarity for for, for me basically <laughs> So, so you, you've got your range of flexibility. Yeah. What are the two kinds you said?
1: So, so you've got your your passive, which is your flexibility. So you could, someone could put your someone could push you there, like, yeah. yeah. Or and gravity. When you're active,
0: yeah. I could put it there myself. Yeah, you can. Like, you you have control problem. of that. Control. You own that range of motion. But I think I think yoga done properly, mm. you should be doing things that are active okay yeah. that's my you know again i'm not i'm not yeah. a yoga teacher i wouldn't i wouldn't be able time. to you're not you're yeah. not i mean yes you're using i guess you're guess it's not quite true because sometimes you're using gravity for example mm-hmm. on your on your hips right so you'll be using you'll be using gravity to open the hips so i guess that's not you're right that's not active mm-hmm. i guess you're, you are pushing things so, yeah, I can understand that would be an issue. So they need to be able to, basically, very basically speaking, your joint, your limbs need to be able to go there on their own. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're potentially overstretching them. Is that the is that right thing to say? Right, I mean, the, the, right the, the, the,
1: some evidence has come out, you know, showing that if you turning the tides on stretching as a warm-up, in regards that you can actually mess with the tissue's capability of absorbing force or producing force, and therefore you're actually increasing risk of injury. Um, so you're not able to explode as well. That tissue isn't able to, you know, perform its job as well. So, so that that was quite interesting. You need
0: a bit of tightness in that sense or?
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you think about if we if we're talking about explosive movements that will that will mainly come down to the tendon like tendon stiffness and what we call stretch shortening cycle so it's like a rebound effect like if I took an elastic band and stretched it and let go and it pings so that's why if I were to do like a squat jump and let's say I, I go down then I explode right up I can go higher than if I go down stop Stay in the squat and then try to jump from there. Also,
0: oh, like cheating with weights, that kind of thing. Yeah, I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Use momentum, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Use momentum, or you, you know that. Yeah, so that that's a good way of looking at. It. But that's the that's the kind of difference there is. You you stretching out that tendon or or the muscle or whatever it is can then mess with the capability of that tissue to be able to produce uh, force or explode or X, Y, and Z. And there's been a few studies that have come out post-2000 that have shown that kind of narrative. And then a lot of the stuff that um, have said that it decreases risk of injury is very old. Now, again, just looking at studies as being old isn't good enough to say that the study is not valid, right? But, but you can see how recent research are unable to prove that that's the case and this is this is again where I come down to combining the passive with the active is if you get that newly acquired range of motion from tricking your nervous system then you should be trying to use that newly acquired range of motion after to actually kind of turn that into a more active approach and actually lead to tissue adaptation. In order for tissue to adapt right you need consistent input it need, and it, it needs to be active in order for the nervous system to really attenuate for what you're doing for for yoga for example you you can of course increase your flexibility through yoga but again you do want to be mindful of what your specific lifestyle is and is that necessary because if you have more range of motion then great the question is how much control do you have of that range of motion so that's where mobility comes into play i've had clients where they they practice yoga and I, i've kind of given them my thought process on what i think this is and i i do specifically say like look I'm not saying to stop doing yoga if you if this is something you enjoy doing 100% still do it but what you need to understand is of course it's not the be-o-end-all the 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 guy um the kind of where I got this Kind of more idea of you know shoulder insults and that kind of thing is is the guy that taught the the course that I attended in March, which falls under the functional range systems. It's it's called functional range conditioning, and that certified me as a functional range conditioning mobility specialist.
0: Functional range conditioning mobility specialist. Bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So the guy who um, taught the the course, uh, Hunter Fitness. That, that that's how you'll find him on Instagram, that kind of thing. I think it's called Hunter Cook. Um, he, he, he was talking about that kind of insult approach um, and whatnot. And he's he's based in LA and he was talking about how he has um, a lot of yogis or, you know, like yoga practitioners that come to him in pain. And yes, they have this great way of con- uh, kind of contortioning their body and getting in these crazy positions for an Instagram post but they're in pain. And when he goes to it, he was saying he finds a common theme when he assesses that they have great passive range of motion, that flexibility, but they don't have good active range of motion, which is the ability to control the range of motion that you have. So a good way of looking at it is flexibility is useless because you can't use it. Whereas mobility is useful because you can use that range of motion. So that's why I emphasize like, look, don't stop doing it, right? I don't want you to stop doing what you love. If anything, I want to push that you do what you love because I think that's important. But what you also need to understand is that we have joint specific training that you can do that if you need to enhance the capacity of your joint, right? So that you have more room to breathe in that area so to speak you have more range of motion you have more control therefore you can do more with that shoulder with that joint shoulder joint for example i'm not saying it's something that shouldn't be done or is bad i'm merely pointing out right these are things that should be Something that we should take note of, you know, the fact that it didn't start with science in mind, the fact that it's certain things aren't backed up by research. Therefore, should this be the only thing that we we do, you know, like these kind of things? So yeah,
0: I think your point. Sorry, I've talked to you, but I think your point of um it arriving before there was science, we should raise a big eyebrow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean exactly. it's all bollocks. Exactly. You, you you certainly don't just just swallow it. Up. Yeah,
1: no, for sure. So that, that that's exactly how how I look at it is you know because it started before science you raise a big eyebrow and you, you question but you don't completely disregard that it can be beneficial for people anything that's going to you know release an analgesic effect and make you feel good is is important and i think that is underestimated a little bit
0: yeah, i mean i would do it even even just for how you feel immediately afterwards mm-hmm. for the you know for the rest of that day mm-hmm. even if someone said well, the effect on your body is fairly neutral. It's not doing any harm. I would still go because yeah. it makes you feel amazing. Right, right. Science I'm or not? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, because um, we talk about surviving through lockdown and whatever else life throws at you. And mental health. right? Mental it's health a, yeah. is massive for sure. I mean, we touched on that a bit. I think. I think it's huge and you must get this in your work because I mean, I've seen you with your clients, you're spending a lot of time with someone. Presumably while you're doing it, they don't just talk about the specific injuries, they probably talk about the pain they're in, yeah. they probably talk about it, the, the, the the effect that pain can have. Because yeah, I've 100%. noticed, I mean, the medical profession particularly likes to hypothecate, they like to make things into individual yes, problems. Yes. You know, you've got a problem with this, you've got a problem with this, you've got a problem with this. Yeah. If you're in constant pain your mental health will not be good that's Mm. just that's just a fact if you're if you're constantly in pain you will be sad it's it's unavoidable so yeah. managing that pain and managing your how you feel every day is it's hugely important and yeah if yoga does that for you
1: yeah i mean you definitely something they taught us a lot in um, in the sport rehab degree that i did at at st mary's university was looking at it from a biopsychosocial model perspective you're not just dealing with the biology of the tissue that you're looking at but you're also dealing with the person itself right so that's why you can't just have um, the same approach for everyone because people are different and the way people will perceive what you're telling them might be different. What people are experiencing will be different. And then what's specific to them is of course going to be different depending on their lifestyle and what they like to do. Um, And when you look at pain itself, like and pain science, we know that pain comes from the brain no matter what kind of pain you're dealing with. It always comes from the brain. And there's a really good TED talk on pain from, um, I always butcher his, his name. I can't oh, pronounce I his name. A... An Australian physio. Yeah, I, know the, I, know the, I know the guy you mean. Yeah, he, he talks about the you know him walking through a bush and him feeling a, getting a sensation on the outside of his left leg, and he basically talks about how that occurs. And like you get, so let's say you walk through the bush, you get a sensation on the outside of your left leg, right? You, maybe that's a, a twig scratching you, whatever. Basically, what happens is the receptors on the outside of your left leg pick up that that sense of touch, send a signal to your spine, send a signal to your brain that goes, hey, something just touched you on the outside of your left leg, right? The brain starts asking different parts of the brain, like, right, okay, um, have we been here before? Like, what's going on? Okay, we, you know, we always walk through bushes, you know, this this is relatively normal. Okay, cool, no, no problem. Now, the interesting thing here is that is what occurs at a kind of biological level. Now, In that very specific instant of what he was talking about, he found out that he was bitten by a venomous snake and he nearly died, right? So that very specific time that he walked through, same input happened, right, up to the brain. Brain goes, you know, has this happened before? Yeah, we go through this all the time. So it doesn't elicit pain until he realised, oh, shit, I was bitten by it. And he nearly died, right? He went to hospital, you know, whatever. So he
0: didn't know he'd been bitten and
1: then... He didn't know he'd been bitten initially. Right. Until he realised, okay, something's wrong and then he had to go hospital and, and etc so then here's the interesting thing the next time that he walked through a bush the same thing happened touch on the left leg signal to the brain now this time when the brain asks, have we been here before it went yes last time you here, you nearly died oh, yeah. so then it presents with agony and he falls to the floor in agony his friend comes over like, oh what's wrong looks at his legs like mate you just got scratched by a twig like you're oh, fine look up this guy's name because it- um, I, I think it's like it. Lor- Lorimer Mo- Mosley Mosley uh, Lorimer Mosley that's it i just remembered it I haven't I've looked it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah you
0: haven't looked it up right? no, <laughs> no I promise I haven't looked it up just now yeah Laurie Mosley yeah I've watched I've seen his TED talk or at least part of it a, a yeah. while back it's brilliant actually because yeah, yeah. For, for me um, I I smashed my legs up 11-12 years ago and had a load of kind of surgery and rehab and stuff mm. and, um, and when you're when you're in a lot of pain the medical profession finds you difficult to deal with you mm. know because the only real I mean they can they can send you to a physio but you know um and you can do specific stuff for that but for the pain itself it's basically um you know medication they give you and right and, right. and not and generally not very nice medication. Yeah, yeah. So you know the opioids. I was on opioids for a long time, and mm. they're, they're one of these things that that they very soon take more than they give. Right, right. And that they're quite they're quite good at taking your mind off the pain at first mm. you know and no one would want to take them out of hospitals they're extremely useful for you know post-surgery and so forth right but right of course As an ongoing prospect mm. they're terrible and they don't they don't work after a while right in right. my experience mm. so yeah they being in pain to have to hear someone like laura mosley talking about pain in a way that you know it's his focus it's yeah. He, he recognises that it's a hugely complex thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than...
1: And and I, I do honestly believe that the way the fitness industry has evolved has had a huge effect on how people perceive certain exercises or movements to be inherently dangerous. One you hear a lot is, oh, spine has to be neutral, right? Your spine has to be straight in, in neutral. And this is something that can be problematic because the spine is designed to move. It's designed to move. It's designed to absorb, dissipate, produce force load so why are we only training in neutral spine that doesn't really make sense when you look at the fundamental joints of the spine and how they're designed to move that doesn't correlate so this is where i talk about that there are no inherently dangerous exercises there are just unprepared bodies
0: when you said that before i was desperately trying to think of one that i'm sure was bad you know Mm. because i guess it's just things done badly isn't it right right right. or you're just unprepared you know well they used to when i was a kid a warm-up involved kind of like doing fast touches of the toes things like that that's got to be bad right going with a cold back and just seeing whether you can touch your toes or not without any thought to your to your spine spine.
1: that's got to be bad right the the answer there would be it depends right how much does that individual have in terms of awareness of their spine Do they have good control of the joints throughout their spine because in your spine, you have uh, 33 vertebrae. I think 24 of those can actually actually have movement. The, the others are, are kind of fused, where you have your your, your sacrum and, and coccyx. They're fused. Um, but the, the rest of the vertebrae between each vertebra you have a facet joint now with that facet joint you have access to a certain degree of range of motion now in an ideal spine you are able to control the movement at each joint at each facet joint between the vertebra so therefore when i go to bend down pick something up my whole spine is contributing to me moving to me dissipating load, and absorbing that load. So now if you take an instance where someone has had, you know, like a disc bulge, for example, in their in their lumbar spine, in their lower back, and they're told, okay, don't move, because if you move, you know, the disc will slip out the back, which I just want everyone to know is is incorrect. Your disc cannot slip. Things aren't fragile. We're, we are very robust. Uh, we have very robust structures. But In regards to that, they then think like, shit, I can't move at my upper spine, right? I need to keep it neutral. So then, because of the principle of if you don't use it, you lose it, they then basically lose the range of motion there in those joints because they don't intently try to move at that range of motion. And that... I would see as being dangerous for your spine because now you're taking away what the lumbar spine can do. And of course, when you have a joint that isn't playing a role of what that joint should do, now the joint below and above or in that kinematic chain is going to have to compensate essentially for the fact that that joint isn't moving. Now, of course, when we're talking specifically a disc bulge, then we would have more um, rehab interventions in place to adhere to tissue healing and whatever we need specifically for that specific human being but i'm talking from a specific um, joint health standpoint you need range of motion in your facet joints and that will just put you in a safer position for when you have to move your spine or dissipate load because now you're dissipating it through the whole spine rather than I can't move up my lumbar, so just my thoracic is going to take all the load. Does that make sense? Yes.
0: Yeah, so you need full range of motions, but you just perhaps need to be careful about how you get there. You just don't. You don't want to go from zero to sixty instantly. You know, if you haven't been doing the full range of motion, you want to be careful. Yeah, about yeah. right. I mean,
1: I would say that's not wise right? That's, that's probably how I would look at it. So that kind of comes back down to there are no inherently dangerous exercise, only unprepared bodies, right? In regards to, is this something that's dangerous for my spine? And that's why you kind of question, well, it really depends. Are you used to going have you already trained your spine with the intent of having good control and then after that have you had some form of graded exposure that's built up to you training that kind of velocity where you go from zero to 60 like you said of just touching your toes and that kind of thing because if you're doing that in a very specific input way and you have graded exposure then you are mitigating risk because you are adhering to the fact that your nervous system likes graded exposure and the fact that if you want tissue adaptation to take place, you have consistent input with progressive overload, okay? Because you need some form of progression in order for tissue to continue to adapt, right? And then on top of that, you need time. It takes time for biology to change. And that's where people really kind of uh, overestimate the the gains they can make short-term and they really underestimate the gains they can make long-term. Um, and and things take time, so that's where you see people drop things. You know, they do they do like a training program for like six weeks, and they're like, yeah, cool, I got this. But you know, it's not for me. I didn't get this specific goal. It's like you might need to give it more time because six weeks in terms of what your rate, uh, in terms of what your nervous system is accustomed to is fuck all, to be honest. And looking at trying to make change at a cellular level, that does take time, and this is why it could also be quite a horrible thing for a, a practitioner, or for a rehab specialist, or whatever, to say to their client. But a lot of the time, because things are individual, and yes, we do have tissue healing, which gives us an idea of time frame. But I don't know what that person's work ethic is like, or what their recovery is like, or any of these kind of things, what their lifestyle is like. So their rehab process is going to look different to other people. So the answer that we want to give when someone says, how long is this going to take, is It will take as long as it takes right, for you to then be able to progress. And of course, I can understand why that's not a nice thing to hear because you want to be able to know when am I roughly going to be able to get back to training or when am I going to be able to do this? But this is something that people need to understand is that that kind of is the case. Like it does just take as long as it takes for tissue to adapt. So if you're trying to get somewhere and you want to jump the gun because you're not happy with how long the process is taking, then you just have to accept the fact that you are at bigger risk of re-injuring the structure if you are not accepting the process of rehab. And this is where it's interesting as well, because you'll get a lot of practitioners or, or uh, before that would, their main goal would be to bring you back to your previous capacity. Now, the big problem with that is, is your previous capacity wasn't good enough because that's when you got injured. right. <laughs> right so I don't want to bring you back to your previous capacity because you're just as susceptible to injury as you were before because that's when you got injured so if anything I need to understand that you did not have the capacity for what you were doing maybe that was over a long period of time or maybe that happened in a singular event and i need to build your your tissues capacity to be able to attenuate for what you're doing so that's probably going to be that is going to be an increased capacity to what you had before so again this is where rehab isn't just about getting you back to how you were before but it's actually about allowing you to take the loads and do what you're asking your body to do and i think that's very important to understand
0: okay so patience and realizing that for you things are going to be different Yeah. from the next person yeah, you, need
1: to take, you need to take as long as it takes you need to do what you need to do for, for example for, for your training Richard your, your external training would look like your jiu jitsu or you know um, your, your, let's say you run, you're running, or your pull-ups, or you, that's your external training. Your internal training is when you do joint-specific training of either moving it through its full range of motion or applying specific input to essentially work the fundamental joint health of the shoulder. Okay, so if I were to get someone to work through their full workspace, doing controlled articular rotations, and perhaps get them to do end-of-range isometrics to increase the workspace of the shoulder, we are doing internal training. For that joint. Now, something that's really interesting that Dr. Spina said, and I'm really curious to know how this would actually work in practice. But he was saying he recommends for powerlifters to do like 50% external training, which would be their normal training, and then 50% internal training, which would be working on specific joint uh, uh, training. And then for jiu-jitsu, because it's a lot different, and of course it's ...can be perceived as more of an insult to your joints... ...because at the end of the day... ...you can be very mobile... ...and have very good fundamental joint health... ...and you can still get injured... ...because maybe you're rolling with a bit of a dick... ...and he just rips your arm into a kimura... ...and you dislocate your shoulder... ...that's still possible... ...now because of that high insult... ...he was recommending... Your ratio to look like eighty twenty ninety ten. That's eighty percent ninety percent internal, ten to twenty percent external. Now, to good me, good luck persuading. Good, people to yeah, do that. good luck getting people to do that. That is crazy, but I'm not disagreeing with him, mm. right? Because I, I, I can understand where he's coming from, and that makes sense. Like, in order to attenuate for the insult that you're you're doing, you have to do all this type of training, right? I like this. I like this. Um,
0: this phrase. The, the, the insult. It's, no, attenuate, uh, attenuate uh, for the insult. Yeah, to make up yeah. as best you can because you're going to keep insulting your body. Yeah, of course. Way you do. Yeah, still makeup. do what you love. Just okay. understand how to mitigate
1: risk. Lorenzo, we have got to get out of
0: here So atten- I'm writing down attenuate yeah. the insult. So if people want to find you, it's Lawrence Fenton. Yes. Or R- um, roles and rehab is the Rolls best way and to and rehab. Yes. on
1: Instagram, Instagram, uh, Facebook. My website will will soon be up in the next in the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Well,
0: Lawrence Fenton, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you for having Cheers. me, Richard. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to Lawrence Fenton. He is roles and rehab on Instagram. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast. See you next week.